Greetings, all. Welcome back to the Captimizer podcast. This week, we're uh, we're heading out to the Pacific Ocean, to the middle of the Pacific. And uh, our guest is Freddie Camacho. Freddie is a retired police officer from California, and we'll get into that here in just a bit. But he's uh, also uh, an OG CrossFitter. So for Cops that are in their 40s and 50s probably recognize that name. And while we're not going to talk a lot about CrossFit today, you know, it's impossible to have a conversation without at least bringing it up. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But there is an important context that we wanted to share. And uh, he's he's now retired, living his best life in Maui. And uh, with that, we we're, our story is going to take a little bit of a turn today, but I, I, I don't want to give it away ahead of time. So, Freddie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. All right. So where is where where do you live in Maui now? Well, normally I live in Lahaina um, as well. No one does know that there were fires out here. And uh, we were victims of that fire. Our condo is still standing, but two of the five buildings in our complex just completely burned to the ground. It's so bizarre. It's a three-story building that is now like three feet tall. Um, so currently right now, uh, we're considered in the burn zone and our house isn't livable right now. But living up the road, just secured an apartment uh, for about a year. So I got a lease for a year, about eight miles up the road in the Pee-Wee. So I'm still on the west side, still out here ripping the west side of Maui so I'm happy about that the, the dog seems happy now it was a rough it was a rough two months so we're all kind of settling in now we actually really like the place we're staying so things well, are that's cool. that's amazing and we're going to get into that story here in a little bit um and I will say I did see a picture of uh Kai is the name of your dog correct correct yeah living it up on the couch <laughs> Own blanket, couple of pillows. This <laughs> they look pretty best chill. Life. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. The all life right. we all dream of. <laughs> yeah. So, um, to, I, I just a little quick history for for the audience. So, I started CrossFit back in like the 2004 2000 time frame, and I told this story before on on other episodes, but. One of our SWAT SWAT guys, I was a, their team leader in our SWAT team at the time, and new guy on the team. He was a former like Force Recon Marine, but he came from a different police department, and he just whips my ass on the PT test, and I didn't like that. So I like doubled down on my training. I'm getting ready, like, and we tested every six months. We had standards that we tested to, and then the next time around, I'm in better shape, and he beats my ass again and worse. Like, <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? So I had to. I had to ask him like one night he worked on my shift also. So I made him meet with me one night and I was like, all right, dude, you got to tell me like, how are you training? What's going on? And so he, even though he's not from California, he's kind of got that California like chillness to him. And he was just like, yeah, man. He's like, I've been doing this thing called CrossFit. His brother-in-law at the time was a fireman. And I think it was in Raleigh, North Carolina, where there was one of the original 20 CrossFit gyms. And had been doing CrossFit. So he told him about it and he started it. And and that's what literally sitting in my car that night, I flipped it up to the what is CrossFit um, 
the Greg Glassman flagship document, read it. And anyway, that's, that's where I got started. But one of the, one of the first people that I remember from back in the old CrossFit journal days was this dude from California. He's all tatted up. He's a cop. And you were kind of a pioneer in a couple of different ways, because back in the day, you know, tattoos and policing, that was, you know, you didn't see a lot of it. Now, now you see it everywhere. Right. But yeah. Uh, you were doing these crazy ass workouts. You're in great shape. You're crushing it. And uh, so when the CrossFit games kind of, you know, when it blossomed out of what was CrossFit, I think you, uh, you were really a big influence on a lot of police officers from around the country getting into it. And, and uh, so, you know, tip of the hat to you for that. And, and you were, you're pretty good at CrossFit too. <laughs> I came in fit already, so I got fortunate. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's funny that I have pretty much like the same stories. Somebody be like, what the hell is CrossFit? And somebody's like, go check out the website. You know what I mean? For me, that's what happened with me. And uh, you actually started it for me, so that's pretty impressive. Because I didn't start. I started in 2006. Um, my very first CrossFit workout was March 28, 2006. And on the website, Matt Dane. I'll, I'll never forget it. But it changed my life. You know what I mean? Like I said, right. I was already fit, but it just made fitness a little bit more exciting and more challenging. Um, so, yeah, I I won't get into the whole story because I don't want to bore you. But I had this. Uh, I did my first wellness presentation at our police department, and I think it was 1998, 1999, and two huge influences on how I got down, started down that path. One was the, the zone book by Barry Sears. And another one was another California um, guy named Phil Maffetone. He used to train triathletes like uh, Mark Allen or Mike pig like these. And he wrote a book called in fitness and health. And so on the, on the zone side of it, I had just, I stumbled across it stumbled across the book. I was working nights at the time. I was training to get ready for our SWAT team. And I had tried this book called the power diet where I was eating like 60% of my calories were coming from carbs, 25 from fat and 15% from protein. And I, you know, you know, what it's like when you're working nights, you don't sleep well. So, you know, I was doing like, I used to run in the morning and then I would go to the gym in the evening and I would just, like after about three weeks of doing this diet, I was, I was waking up, I would go to bed at like eight, nine every morning. I was waking up at noon, just freaking starving. Like, and then I'd be pissed because I'd have to eat something to go back to sleep. If I could go back to sleep. And I felt like I didn't have discipline. So I was kind of beating myself up. And the, the very first Starbucks in our town opened up like a mile down the road from where I was living at the time. So on one of those days, like I couldn't fall back asleep. I I got in my car, I drove down to the Barnes and Noble where the Starbucks was, bought a coffee and was just browsing books. I pick up this book. It's a zone book. I really have, you know, it's brand new. It's sitting on the end cap. And I literally open up to the page where it, he kind of, it's talking about like, if you're having trouble sleeping, you might want to look at what you're eating before you go to bed or if you wake up hungry. And it was in this description about what the body does when you're, when you're, you know, on that insulin roller coaster ride. And, and so for me, it was kind of like, that was weird because that's why I'm standing here is because I can't sleep. And so I read that book 
I, I sat there for like two hours reading. I went home and read, skipped my workout, went to work that night with the book and dodged as many calls as I could. <laughs> you know, try, and uh, I was trying to get that book done. By the, by the time morning came around, I stopped at the grocery store on my way home from the midnight shift, bought like a dozen eggs and, and some things and, and basically ate a zone block breakfast and then slept the whole day. Like didn't wake up. I was I was like in power mode. And so from there I was hooked. And within a few months, you know, I'm having these great results and I'm literally walking around. I was the, the guy that found Jesus, you know, I'm like, you gotta read this book, you know, <laughs> all my SWAT guys, everybody's like, and so when they, when I would start talking about nutrition, they're like, oh shit, here comes plainly again. So imagine to my surprise, when I read that, I opened up that day with, you know, when the guy on my shift is telling me about CrossFit. And one of the first things I see is Greg Glassman is talking about the zone nutrition. I was like, okay, boom, I'm in. I mean, that's, that's the very short version of the story, even though it took a couple minutes to say, but, um, so when I, when I saw that CrossFit really was really built, built on those foundational principles of the zone nutrition, I was like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about clearly. So that's kind of where I got hooked. It doesn't mean I was any good because I suck, man. I was that guy that did bench press all the time. No shoulder mobility. Um, yeah, it just does CrossFit workouts just absolutely just crush me. I think I was. The real question crazy. is when you started CrossFit, could you bench more than you could squat? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all skipped leg day. <laughs> Yeah, people don't believe even my own kids. I have three boys now. Not, they don't believe me now. But there was so, and this was part of my zone journey, right? Like three months in, I I went from like 170 pounds, 175 down to 155 because I was measuring away and everything. And my bench went from I think it was like 245, 255, all the way up to 295. So. I literally, I had a goal of like, I am, I want a two times body weight bench press and I never got there. Um, I never even got 300. Like that was my goal. Like I'm a small guy and, and I'll get to this later, but you actually even commented on my small legs when we were competing out at the, at the uh, Sounds like something I would do. yeah, because I, yeah, because right. You know, uh, even, even working legs, it still didn't, it didn't help me at all. But, um, yeah, I, I came close, but I never did get there. But, you know, I think that's kind of like the same for everybody. Once you kind of realize, once you realize how powerful nutrition is to your performance and you see the impact of it. And then when you realize, man, what what is good movement and what is good programming do to to build from that? It, it's no wonder that when people this why I was, you know, of course, a believer. Once you combine those two things in the synergy, well, sh it's like, why isn't everybody doing this? And, yeah, it's you know, a, of course, it's a game changer, like perfect example. I use my wife, uh, China. So made the game in 2010, but didn't really do care about her nutrition at all. We were like partiers, right? We just eat. So anyway, when I look back in my memories on Facebook, pops up like 2010, 2011, 2012, we shooting like pop up pictures of like, oh, Freddie made us dinner tonight. It's, you know, ribs with, and some vegetables and stuff like that. And you just look at it, you know, like fat, 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 fat. You know what I mean? And uh, she's been working with uh, the same nutrition coach now for, man, I don't even know how many years it's been. It's been so long now. And, and that was like the game changer. You can even go on 
online, I look at pictures of her physique, how much her physique changed in that time frame, and how much better she got in CrossFit, right? Most arguably, she's a pretty good CrossFitter. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, that's but, kind of yeah, an understatement. The, 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 and she's still, like, even in the two months that we were displaced for the fire, and, like, <laughs> like I can't lie to you, like, the guy that took us in was amazing. Uh, the family, you know, the couple that we know, really good friends of ours before the fire wasn't like we just met them. But he's a private chef, right? And private chefs are right, will cook good food. And food that is delicious has a ton of fat grams in it, right? We all know that. Like they cook it in oil, sprinkle it with oil when they're done. <laughs> and people don't realize how much that shit adds up. So for her, it was really tough. Like four weeks into it, she was starting to lose her mind because like, this isn't the way that I normally eat. I feel fluffy. And even though she looked fine, she's still working out like a maniac. Yeah. Um, but psychologically, she was not eating the way that she liked to eat, and it was affecting her mentally. You know what I mean? And so, changed it. She started bringing her scale to dinner with us. So when we would sit down and have these like family style dinners, and then he actually was really cool about it. He started like, "Hey, I made this for us, and then I made this for you." You know what I mean? Wow, that's amazing. And, uh, yeah, but it's like it's just you were exactly right, man. When she get down that nutrition thing, like for me, I never was really super great at it. Even when I was fighting, when I came into CrossFit, I was already in shape and fighting. I'm just like typical like wrestler mentality all the way back from high school. Just like I'm just gonna eat whatever and then suck weight down to make weight those last couple of days to make me weight. Whereas I could have just dieted and ate right like she does. You know what I mean? Would have been a lot easier. But um, I definitely did a lot of. Uh, fitnessing my way around a bad diet for many, many years. A lot better now since we've been out in Hawaii. Mainly, I just I drank a lot, especially I drank a lot of beer. And that's a game changer. Where I just don't drink as much beer right now. I still drink beer, but not as much. Yeah. So main, I'm actually, I'm at that weight now and consistently like two pounds or three pounds above the weight that I started when I started CrossFit in 2006, which is pretty cool because it's now 2023. And I'm like at the weight I was when I was like at my peak physical fitness, I believe. So um, that took a little work, but we're good now. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, that's kind of where I wanted to really spend a little time talking because, you know, I can, I can say that I'm at, I'm at the same weight now that I've, I've literally say, weighed the same with plus or minus five pounds for probably 20 years straight. Um, I very rarely, I very rarely will get outside of that range. Now I will say this summer when I was in Hawaii for three weeks on vacation, um, I did hit 176 when I got back, which was, which was, and we were super active too. Like, I mean, we, we were every day we were doing something. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like we weren't active, but it just, again, it's a perfect example of, you know, just you, you bring in a lot of calories then eventually it's going to start adding up you're eating out you're drinking more i mean especially the eating out like in in on vacation you literally eat out all the time right yeah you don't know what's getting put in there but i know exactly how chefs cook i watch a lot of cooking shows (laughs) i've got to see a a chef firsthand every day cook and i'm all like it's so easy to just boom all of a sudden you're like well i'm fluffy man what happened i've only been here a week i've already put on I guess times I was hitting up to like over 200, 201, 202, 199, and now I'm carrying like 187, 188. Man. But it happens. It happens quick. Well, I tell you what, though, that food was damn good. And I mean, there's nothing. <laughs> that 
that's worth it when you're on vacation. As long as, yeah. you, as, long as you can dial it in when you get back. And that's the problem. Is, is, I'm, and we say the same thing just for day-to-day life, right? You get people that, that really pay attention to what they're doing and then they get sidetracked or something happens and people handle everything differently. And next thing you know, they're, they're like, oh, shoots, I just gained 12, 13 pounds. What am I going to do about that, right? And then but some people just kind of throw in the towel and then they gain another 10 or 12, 13 pounds. And then it's just like that long downward spiral. And then all of a sudden, it's like a lot of things in our society, right? It just becomes, accept, I accept it. I accept yeah. it. Now I'm fat and fluffy. And I'm, that's the person who's all like, wow, you know, you, you, you like, look like you're in shape or like women on the beach. Like, oh my God, I just want to have legs like you. And like, no, you don't. Not really. You shouldn't want to put in work and throw in the towel. So yeah. that's the big important thing. Don't throw in the towel. Every day. Yeah. All right, so you're uh, you, you you started you started working in policing a little bit later. Um, you Correct. were in the San Francisco area, so may, tell us, give us a little bit of history about what you're doing, and then how you got started in policing. Um, that's it's a pretty cool story. I was uh, I was fighting at the time, right, in the in the studio where I, where I trained, like we did Krav Maga, Don's on Jiu Jitsu obviously Brazilian jiu-jitsu also and I wanted to get into ring fighting and uh some of the guys that I was training Krav Maga with were San Jose cops and just one day they were like hey you should try and become a cop one day and honestly I was working for Union Pacific Railroad man I was a uh, what's called a carman so I did heavy maintenance on rail cars dirty gringy work didn't pay a lot and uh I my whole life like my younger years were rough and tumble I spent some time in the back of a police car, so I've been <laughs> in both sides of the police car. And uh, I remember those guys saying, hey, you should become a cop. But I hadn't even been in any, I hadn't even so much as gotten a traffic ticket since I was like 23. And at the time I was 34, I'm about to turn 35. And uh, I uh, went home and told my ex-wife, I was like, hey, I'm going to become a cop. And she just literally laughed in my face. She's all, no one's going to hire you. <laughs> shit. I was like, next thing you know, I was, I got hired like within like six months. And I started out at South San Francisco PD. Uh, I was there for six years, a couple of years into being like, I think it was like 2000, I hired in 2000. By 2003, I was on the SWAT team, got to do a whole bunch of different specialty stuff in that short time. Opened up my gym, actually opened up a martial arts gym first in 2005, but then when we started CrossFit in 2006, it was starting to take off. So I'm like, Hey, I'm in a lateral, so I lateral to this to the police department that was in the same city as my gym. So that's how I ended up in the city, and I uh, ended up doing 18 years police work. Uh, I was planning on working until this year. I turned 58 this year, but in October of 2018, uh, got recruited for a job uh, with Tesla. They wanted to put together this specialty group where everyone on the team was was like. You know, SWAT guys, military, police, ex-police, you know. And they wanted this group of uh, 16 guys that could be like an undercover, just roaming around playing clothes in the factory. And a lot of like companies, big companies have armed um, people in playing clothes, just active shooter yeah. prevention. So like Facebook does it, you know, all the big companies have it. And uh, it just didn't pan out the way that they wanted to. So I ended up slipping into a management position and, uh, and ended up here in Hawaii. So that's the story, man. It's crazy. Good time. Yeah. I, I retired from police work as a sergeant. I didn't make it up into the admin stuff because I didn't have college education. So 
and I didn't want to spend money on getting a college education at that point in my life since I started so late. So stuck with Sergeant, and uh, that was literally the greatest job on the planet, which you probably know. Patrol Sergeant. Yes, Patrol Sergeant. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> working nights. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, you know, when you're when you when you are an admin, you know, you do. Uh, there are times where you fantasize about just just being out in a squad car and, you know, just really right. worrying about yourself and going out and doing the work. But, yeah, you know, every, I, I, I tell people this all the time. I don't care what role you are in the police department. Every every there's a reason why there's a role there. So it's all important. And, and everybody's you just and not everybody can do the fun stuff all the time, too. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to do the jobs that no one else wants to do. And, um, right. but yeah, well, and they're all stressful and they, they're stressful in different ways. And one of the things where I, I really do want to spend a lot of time today talking about, um, because this is kind of at the core of our conversation is health and wellness. And, you know, it's when you're, when you're in that, it, it like, and you're committed to it, like it, you know, whether it's through CrossFit or something else that you're doing and you see and feel the benefit of it. it. Sometimes it's hard to understand why others aren't doing it. Like, why aren't you doing this also, man? You Do you realize how good you could feel, how much easier everything else? You, you put in an hour of hard work a day. Think about what you're going to eat a couple times a day, you know, a little pre-planning and man, you can let you can level out a lot of stress in your life and and Each. then most importantly when you when you retire you can go on and and live the life that you want actually reap the benefits and the rewards of doing a very difficult job for 20 or 30 years right i mean that's uh, and sadly the data is you know 48% of police officers have you know have a heart attack before age 50. I mean, it, you know, the average, the mortality rate is like a lifespan from a lifespan perspective, 18 to 23 years below the average for an, on, for males. It's a little bit a little lower for women, but uh, the, for the last couple of years, you know, since you retired and you, you have a big Facebook following and you're posting and you post a lot of funny shit. And that that's why I like following you. Like you're a very real person in social media where a lot of people curate what they put out there, but you you have you're very authentic. So it's I think it's a it's a it's a natural draw to watch. But I'm watching you. You're like you're taking these beautiful pictures from these roads that you're that you're riding your bike on. You're you know you're working out. You're doing all the you're not you're working on a boat. You're doing all this cool stuff. I'm like, holy shit! Like look at this. Look like you are the living example of why when you're younger you should be taking care of yourself because I there's and maybe you know these guys too, right? But officers that are just they're they're defeatist about what life has to offer for them because they're they're letting the job just beat them down and wear them down and then they think like well there's nothing really you know uh, maybe i'll go work security or something like that when i'm done um or you know whatever and then just kind of fade away like dude you're posting yeah. it and you're living it so i was like this is awesome like you're 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 the example well, I, I, don't know if I, I, I don't know if i recommend working on a boat for every retired guy <laughs> sometimes i work crew and i have two other people work over me on the boat and you add their ages together and they're still like 15 years younger than me <laughs> but, but 
I'm probably I'm not like bragging, but I'm the, definitely the most fittest guy on the boat at 58 years old. And my goal is to try and do it until I'm 60. Now this fire just hit, devastated our boating community out here in Maui. Um, just nine people that I have worked with that I was currently work with or that I worked with in the past lost everything. Um, and I was able to get a lot of money raised for those guys. But uh, so our crews are even smaller right now. And if we get fully operational again, you know, you need at least 21 crew to win three boats. So I am going to be working more than I had intended on working. The beauty of it is that, like I said, I'm in pretty good shape. Uh, the only old man problems I have right now is, is just some back issues. But I think I can, I think I can make it to 60, man. And it's like, and it's just being on the water, being in the water. Uh, I'm a people person. So when customers are on the boat, it's just like a lot of fun for me. You know what I mean? And just a lot of life experience. So I can have a conversation with just about anybody on the boat that I need to. And it's a, uh, it's just good time. So yeah, that it would staying in shape all those years helped me out. Absolutely. Um, I, I always thought about that in my whole time that I was in law enforcement, whenever I talked to people about fitness or health and wellness, and we would ask just like you were doing, you know, whenever we had defensive tactics training or to sit down, I would just tell guys, I'm like, bro, so you guys are spending all this, working all this thing, all this time, and you're banking in cash because you want to have good things and stuff like that. And that becomes your excuse to not take care of yourself. And you work all these years so that you can retire. Like everyone, all of a sudden, it went from having so much fun, wanting to work all this overtime, to how many days do I have left? You got the little fucking timer on your desk that <laughs> yeah. tells you when, how many hours and minutes and seconds you have left. Yeah. And then when you hit that, you haven't taken care of yourself so, for your whole life. And all that time that you put in, mainly all that money that you took away, hopefully, and uh, your retirement, is then it can end up going to to physical problems, like trying to fix physical problems in your, in your body. And you don't get me wrong. I mean, there's luck of the draw, right? Like it's like some people are going to be predisposed to have cancer. Some people are going to get something else. You know what I mean? Like you just never know on that. You, or you just walk out on the street one day and get hit by a car. You know what I mean? So, right. but man, I want to give myself a chance. You know what I mean? I want to give myself a, a good fighting chance and, and physical fitness was always super important since I was very, very young, just because I didn't think so much about getting older at first. It's just, you want to look good. You know what I mean? But as I got older, it's all like, it's all like, man, I want to, I want to stay as young as possible, you know, physically and also just mentally. Like, I'm not going to be afraid to try new things. I'm mean, doing shit out here that I was all like, holy fuck, I never would have tried this. You know, like, I don't think I would ever try this. I'm, you know, jumping in the water and free diving and, the other day, it was in murky ass water trying to tie in our boat. Going, yeah, the sharks had a ten foot shark sighting like the day before, and I'm like, yeah, this is gnarly, but I'm cool, I'm cool. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I don't want to be that guy I'm just throwing the towel and retire, and I just sit around on the couch. And then, oh yeah, I travel and stuff like that. Well, that's great. Now, what'd you do while you travel? I want to come go to places, and I want to hike up mountains, and I want to, you know, I want to go swimming, and I want, I want to surf, I want to do this, I want to do that. You know what I mean? I don't want to be that guy that can't do any of that. Traveling to me without being adventurous is like, does not sound fun to me at all, you know? Yeah. And I think I set myself up pretty good for that. I mean, it helped that I had my wife, that like, if I didn't stay in shape, she might dump me. Just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, we, always talk, we always joke about that. So it was a good thing to have that in my life. Like someone that was thinking on the same page, thinking even more so than me. So it was an example to me. So, Yeah. 
Well, and you you are an example for a lot of people. So, you know, again, tip of the hat. And you, so just going back to the boat analogy, despite the fact that you're twice as old as them be, be, with the age added up, the fact is you're there and you're doing it. And and it's not because you have to be there. It's because you choose to be there and you're not forced to do something that you don't want to do. And, and you're bringing value and not just from, your, you know, your personality and that, but also being able to do the work. Like I'm not, I, uh, I, I won't say which, which, uh, charter line that we were on when I was there in Lahaina. I'll tell that story in a few minutes, but we, we had a group of young people that were on our boat. Uh, and at one point, you know, they put the sail up on the way back. Like we went around to Honolulu Bay and went uh, snorkeling, did stuff there and then did, had a sailing trip back and they, and they were pulling that sail. And that's, I've done that before. Uh, when I was in Jamaica, once I did that where I actually like nobody else wanted to do it. Like, you know, it was a bunch of, you know, young, young, this was when I was like on my honeymoon, I think I was 30, but nobody else wanted to do it. So I jumped on there and pulled it. And that's not, that's not an easy task, right? Those sales, you, you like, you got, it's a lot of leg drive. It's, it's like doing a sled pull, right? You know, like when you're driving and pulling and leaning back. Um, and I, I saw this poor woman, you know, she's in her mid twenties and I thought, I'm like, I'm going to have to jump down there and help her because I don't think she's getting that thing up there. Um, now, I think she, it's funny about what I tell people. I always like, you know, I mean, right. I have like firefighters and cops that come on board you know, all the time and they're like, yeah, or, or even just regular people. I know like, I would just love to work on a boat someday. And I'm like, no, you would hate it, bro. It's like one of the most physically demanding jobs I've ever had. And it's not, it's not what people see when they're on the boat, right? Because they're on the boat and they just see us walking around, serving drinks, chit-chatting with everyone, having a good time, pulling the sail, you know, like, wow, it's like a minute of hard work, right? It's the right. stuff afterwards that we see. I'm on the boat from, when I work a full day, two trips a day, I'm on the boat from 8 a.m. And in the, in the summertime, it's 8 a.m. to 8.30. And in the wintertime now, we're 8, 8 a.m. to about seven right but it's all the stuff you don't see that happens when the passengers are off the boat we got to maintain the boat we got to clean it we have to load provisions on and off going across a beach carrying you know two 50 pound bags of ice on my shoulder going you know 50 yards from where we pick up the ice across sand and like people don't see all of that it's, it's definitely a young person's game and i lie i'm pretty proud of myself that i can hang and bang with these guys at the age i'm at and i'm all like yes chop that up thank you Thank you, my early years of fitness, and thank you all those years of CrossFit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, plus, just like, like I was just to swing back to it before I forget, but like, just we talked about it. Like that physical being physically fit is just gonna help you out mentally. It's just gonna make things mentally easier. Challenging things are just gonna be a little bit mentally easier if you're a little bit more fit and you're used to like just working hard and taking on something hard to do. Even if it's not working hard, just the day-to-day -day grind of, like, if you want to walk three miles a day with your dog, but you're committed to doing it every day, you're committed to it. That's a mentally challenging thing, and that's what everybody needs to do. And the mental challenge of just committing to something and doing it is that's a step in the right direction. Everything can build on that. So that commitment over the years has made me able to live a life that I want to live now. You know what I mean? Right on. And, you know, uh, Glassman used to talk about that a lot in the early days of CrossFit, right? Preparing for the unknown and the unknowable. And um, that 
from a, from a policing perspective, I'll tell a quick story. And this is, I tell this story um, when I do wellness presentations. So I do, I, I do, um, I've presented at, for IACP, I've presented at uh, like the National FOP Wellness Conference. And I tell a story very early in my career. Uh, and I've told this on the podcast a few times. So apologize for people that have heard it before, but it's, I think it's very germane to what we're speaking about today. I'm a young officer out on the streets, just a couple of years. One night we got a burglar that's working in a certain part of our town. He's, and we know who he is. He's been in and out of prison. And, uh, you know, so it, it, he's a legit dude. Like you gotta, you know, we need to catch him. He's active, but we, you know, he's also dangerous. So there, there was one night we get, a, it's a Friday night. We're busy. We're running call to call and we get a call at a, one of our car dealerships um, you know, 10, you know, we call them uh, 1091. So that's an active alarm, um, break-in alarm. So we get there, or I should say I get there and then my partner rolls up and, um, it, this, it's got a fence around the whole place, a six foot chain link fence. And as soon as he gets there, I see, I see his squad rolling up, you know, I, I hop up over the fence and I'm, I drop down, I'm waiting for him to come over and he's standing on the other side, just looking at me. And he's overweight. He's out of shape. He can't climb the fence. And so I was like, all right, man, I'm like, well, I'll tell you what. I was like, I'll just go. I'll I'll go check. If I need something, I'll let you know. And it's not like, well, what the hell is he going to be able to do? But, you know, so I make, you know, and I tell people all the time, like it, it's I set it up a way where people think, oh, I'm going to go get myself killed or get into a fight or something like that. And it's but, you know, thankfully, in this case, it turns out to be like most alarms, right? Just a false alarm. But I check the building. I don't see anything. And I come back and he's, you know, he's there and I hop the fence. We drive away and everything's good. But I, I really thought about that a lot. Um, and I, I still can. Obviously, that was almost 30 years ago. And I still think about that um, because. Guys think, you know, there's there's things worse than getting killed, you know, or, or the worst thing that could ever happen is getting killed in the line of duty. And I'm like, nope, not even close, not even close, because the one thing that I never wanted to have happen to me was have somebody else that would in my care or somebody else that I should be able to help. But because maybe I didn't train well or I didn't prepare myself physically, I, I'm not able to put myself in a position to help them. And it, like in the, I think in that case, like. What if I, I, my dumbass gets into a fight or I get shot or, I, you know, something happens to me and I'm, I would just imagine what would it be like to be the guy that didn't train, that didn't prepare. And I can't hop that fence and go over there and help my partner. I'm like, now you got to live with that. Uh, and I think that yeah. would be worse than the alternative. And so I, I tell that story a lot, not, and I don't mean it to say like to try to demean people for not, not, you know, for being overweight, because that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic, right? Well, there's a reason why cops are overweight and unhealthy. Um, it, it does, it's just not by chance. It, it happens for a very specific, you know, for metabolic reasons, for stress reasons, all of these things contribute. So yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that was always my motivation. Like it's, you know, yeah, I want to train. I, yeah. A little bit of narcissism always goes a long way. Right. I want to look good you know, when I, you know, when I go on vacation or whatever, I want to be able to do the things that I want to do. But most importantly right. for my job is I want to be able to help people because that's what I signed up to do. I think what's funny is, uh, like I said, this is, there's, there's 
cops get into this uniform syndrome and they're like, once I wear this uniform, I either am invincible, number one, or number two, there's a whole nother subset of those people that nothing ever bad is going to happen to me because I have this yeah. uniform on. Um, <laughs> that's like just definitely like the worst thing. And eventually what happens, they get to be the, and then let's say you get the guys with the uniform on that also, maybe they lift a little bit of weights and they're really super strong with the bigger guys in the thing, but they're not like any kind of shape. And they tend to, I tend to see like when you watch it, it's not all the time. But a lot of those guys are the guys that are a lot more physical on the job than, than the job needs them to be. Right. The guys that get in trouble, right? So they've fallen yeah. into, I have a uniform on, I have some strength, I'm stronger than you. So I'm just going to bully you around. They're the guys that end up being the bullies, right? Same guys that also end up being super negative about people that do get fitness. So, um, yeah, the uniform thing is a big thing. And I see it. I, sometimes I see, like, I don't have any offense. I want police work to be for everybody, right? But I've right. seen some some cops, like, now, because police departments are in really desperate times. And you get these people that are, like, signing up and just all like look at me i have a uniform on there's a picture of me on instagram and i'm not just saying just women either guys too right oh uh, hell yeah you are going to get fucking smashed the first time you get into a fight so you better not ever go on scene in a call by yourself ever <laughs> you know what i mean and i'm all like i know that we're in desperate times now we're out here in hawaii every police department is short i think maui pd is short like 100 cops or something like that just on maui alone which is three islands it's three count it's like three islands right but i, right. I went to go register my firearms here i was 56 years old and i got asked by three different people if i could put an application in, you know um so they're they're all desperate everybody's desperate i know in the mainland they're desperate i mean who wants to be a cop nowadays right right which is if you do make it all the more reason because nobody wants to be popping you know like a lot of people are like just gonna forever be cop haters and just more the reason to take care of yourself because you're representing you know you're representing law enforcement um do you want to get people you know yep. for the fire like like look at this guy right and we've seen all those videos over the years and now they're gonna flip into like you know, hiring gangsters and hiring you know, some of the bigger departments and hiring people that are just well what's gonna happen to them when they when, when the shit hits the fan you know they're not gonna be prepared for it yeah, and there we we could talk for days about that. And I'll just I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, um, I was on doing some stuff on LinkedIn, and of course, you know, a lot of videos get shared there. And exactly what we're talking about, there's a, um, I think it was I don't want to miss. I'm not going to say the department because I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it was in Ohio, but there's an author. Uh, there's a guy who's working a desk, and a dude, you know, that was. Um, you know, that was in crisis comes into, comes into the lobby and, you know, it's a little brash, but he's speaking through the window, like, Hey, get somebody here. I need some help or whatever. And, um, they get into this verbal exchange and the, and the officer winds up calling, he's like, you know, you're mental dude. Like, like, like literally tells this guy who's in crisis and he was clearly in crisis. It was, you know, any, any cop that's worked a day can see, Hey, this, this, something's not right with this guy. And so then the guy threatens him like, hey, come out here and call me mental, whatever. And then he calls him, you know, and then he gets into this little tit for tat. So he gets, I call it the doom loop, right? He gets sucked into the doom loop, gets pulled down. And as Mark Twain used to, you know, so wisely told us years ago, right? You know, never argue with idiots because they'll drag you down to their level and beat you over the head with experience. 
and I, you know, and my version, like what I tell, what I used to tell my guys all the time is like, never argue with idiots because people watching might not be able to tell the difference. Right. And, and so you get into an exchange. Yeah. You get into an exchange with a guy that's clearly uh, in crisis. He's not thinking rationally. And, and the cop is supposed to be the rational one. So now on top of that, so now not only has his mouth got this guy riled up, you know, he, now he he goes out and he opens up the door and goes out there and like he's going to challenge this dude and calls. And so the guy he opens up the door and the guy kind of gives him a chance. Like he's like, call me mental one more time. Go, go ahead. And he, and he's like, well, you need to leave. And you can hear the tension in the officer's voice now, like the lack of confidence is there. The tension is up. And he says it, the dumb shit says it. And now the fight's on that dude grabs him, has him, has the officer on his back on the ground. And maybe one of the most like, like frustrating videos I've ever watched, because now the guy's on the, on the ground, he's beat and his body camera is literally looking up at this guy's face. And it's terrifying because he's not even fighting. Like the fight's been going for 10, 15 seconds. He's already out of breath. He's got no strength. He's got nothing to get this guy off. And so the dude lets him up and then they go and then he gets himself back into another scrum with him. And then he makes it even worse and pulls out his gun. Like this guy's already got a, got a handle on him and he's really, really lucky. He didn't get himself killed. Um, but, and the only thing that saved him was, uh, was another officer finally got there. Like, Somewhere else in the building comes crashing in, saves the day, and then a few more people come. And it was, I mean, yeah, of it should be like mandatory viewing for every, you know, every every officer that likes to run their trap, you know, like, you know, even if you can back it up, like, what would be the point? Like, why why would you want to engage with somebody that's in crisis like that? I mean, it's just, it's really, it's kind of a, a you know. I don't, these these things they get me you know they kind of get my my heart rate up a little bit so I can take a little deep breath myself here but it's it's like all these things I've been talking about for the last twenty five years and I'm sure you've been preaching the same thing like like man you you got to train you got to prepare and I can only wonder if that was a guy that was going two nights a week you know going to jujitsu one night a week once a month going but three or four days a week is hitting the gym and his training is in, is in decent shape. It's getting a good night's sleep. You, you, you want to rewind and go back. And it's like, I wonder what that interaction would have looked like then with that guy's best self and not his worst self, you know, trying to argue with another guy that's in crisis. And it was, yeah, it was, it was bad. I'll, I'll let you uh, jump on and watch the video. Um, I digress. So the other thing, I, you know, the other thing maybe to, to also point out, and um, there's a lot of work that's being done on this, a CrossFit was so far ahead in so many ways. People now are just getting caught up to some of the concepts and the core principles that CrossFit was teaching 20 years ago. They're just now starting to catch up like, oh, the, well, this we should be doing these things like um, so that's that's another reason why, I, you know, I, I've never met Greg Glassman. My my next door neighbor, um, you know, sadly she's passed away. Uh, her name's Dr. Sarah Hallberg. Um, she she was part of the the CrossFit Health Initiative and actually you know, spent some time with Glassman and that team when they were putting that together uh, a few years ago. But yeah, uh, and from a nutrition perspective, 
one of the other things that doesn't get talked about enough, and this is another area where I really want cops to focus on this, your your mental and emotional well-being is directly, uh, I, I, it, it's downstream from your nutrition and your exercise and your recovery protocols. Yeah, it, Very rarely will you find a cop that is emotionally dysregulated, that is also eating well, training on a regular basis, and uh, you know has a good has a good balance and and good you know re- resiliency and 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 recovery practices, right? I mean, no, that's for sure, and, and it just goes across all all life, really. Yes, you know, not just not just police, but people that are a little bit well better adjusted than others. Yeah. So when you got those guys that are on your shift, you know that, and everybody's got them, right? Every department has them. Um, you know that that. You know, they wait for they wait for their backup to get there and then their you know you know their attitude you know turns what you know a normally a somewhat mundane you know maybe maybe if not annoying type of call into a fight into an arrest and you know into a scrum that should have never happened in the first place and 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 this is where you know I think in the in the in the post Ferguson days there was kind of that first reckoning for for police departments to really do some close introspection outside of the whole use of force case. I don't even want to get into all that because, you know, that, you know, that's just the the bad side of what the, what the media and what a bad information can bring. But there's also, you know, then we moved right into the, the, the Minneapolis and the, and the Derek Chauvin thing. And, you know, you still, I just read an article not too long ago, right? It's like even three years post the, the George Floyd, it seems like in some cases we haven't learned some of these very valuable lessons. And I personally, I, I, I think that we could solve a lot of these problems if we, you know, not defund the police, but actually invest in the police and then make sure that we have sufficient staffing. And then most importantly, make sure we have the resources to train and prepare officers for what they're going to be dealing with out on the street on, you know, they're, you know, there, there's only so much trauma like the human brain can take before, you know, you start to shut down. And I don't care. I don't care how much, you know, you prepare and train for it. You know, everybody's got to have an outlet and everybody has has a ceiling that they're going to reach. And we got to have oper, opportune, you know, the opportunity to recover and, you know, and rebalance the wealth, so to speak. Yeah, the balance thing is really important, trying to find that balance. And it's a tough job to try and do that. And I mean, yeah. I don't know how it was where you're police department, but like, I think I remember when we had our conversation before this, and I, I was never the guy that's trying to preach CrossFit to everyone. You need to go to gym, you need to go join a CrossFit gym. The big thing with our department is uh, it's so expensive to live in the Bay Area, you know, to live where you work. Uh, and some guys were commuting like, you know, 60 miles in traffic. You know what I mean? To come to work. And then you come in, yeah. we work 12 hour, 20 minute shifts, right? So I'm mean, like, do the math. You're like 12 hours, 20 minutes. Your commute can take you. Like, I had a buddy that I worked with when I worked in South San Francisco on a Friday night when he got off work. It would take him two and a half hours to get home. You know what I mean? And uh, so these guys are commuting way out, just with, which is the funniest thing about it is because that's where they can afford a house, couldn't get a big house. I do it for my family, but they're doing it for them. Then they're never home. Right? And when they yeah. get home, they have what maybe an hour and a half awake before they had to go to sleep and get ready to do it all over again the next day so i know that that is a huge disadvantage and that's why i wouldn't be able to try and shove it down some guy's throat like hey man you need to work out right yeah i can't tell you 
because I'm in a better situation than you are. Like I have the opportunity to do that. But when the department switched to you get one hour of training while you're on duty, you get off the clock, you can take a uniform off, you can go in and work hard for 30 minutes, even have time to take a shower before you hit the street again and you would get guys, oh man, nah, I don't want to get all sweaty and then put my uniform back on. I'm just all like, cool, don't get, you know what I mean? Yeah. Don't. And that's the reality of that. You know what I mean? So yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a it's a hard job to try it. If you're like invested in you get invested in the job and you get caught up and sorry not to go back on it again. But a lot of those guys are young guys and not only do they buy the houses, but they bought the you know, the four wheel drive trucks with, you know, 5,000, you know, tons of accessories that they're paying like $900 a month for a truck. Right. And yeah. I'm just, and you know, next thing you know, like what's, I remember the first day of the Academy, this old crusty freaking chief came in on the very first day and did the intro. And uh, he was just, oh, there's three things that get cops in trouble. Three B's, right? Booze, broads, and bills. Right. I don't even think you can say that. I don't think no, you can say broad. No, probably not. Probably yeah, not. But uh, that gets you. True. That gets those you guys, called into HR in a hurry. Like, yeah, but those guys. It's a true story. Bills, man. You start money, and cops love to have toys, and they love to have all the newest iPhones, and you know this and that, and they get caught up all in that, and you're spending more money, and then it, that's going to cut in your time and your ability to do other things. They're going to help you, like I always said, in the long term. You know. Like, Hey, you got this now, but you're long term. You know, you're, you're looking out there farther than that. And when you're a young guy, we're just circling right back to it again. Yeah, you're invincible. You don't think about that shit, right? So, trust me, well, you got to think about that. <laughs> you better, absolutely. And from day one, so that's that's it's great that somebody even came in and said it. Like, I, shit, I I remember buying my first house, and I was I I had been working for probably over a year. I was off probation. And back then, I mean, Indiana and and like so one of one of my friends here, um, he he retired from San Jose. Like his his actually his twin brother was one of my bosses. Um, he he they both they both moved here out to California. One went to L.A. County Sheriff's and the other went to San Jose. And then um, he, um, one of them came back here, you know, from family reasons and stuff came back. But. He, he was always and I was actually was another friend of yours, Diane Stewart. Um, when I had her on the I had her on the podcast, I was she knew him. So we were talking about it. he was always, always bragging. He's always telling me like, you know, in San Jose, this is how we did things. <laughs> but for the most part, you know, he's always like, yeah, I mean, they, they definitely do things well, very progressive. But my first my first house payment, my very first mortgage payment was $640. I remember it. Like, I'm like, holy shit, $640. Like I was getting paid like $35,000 a year. That's a big chunk, right? Like coming right out. And so it, you see guys driving the new trucks, right? So what do they do? They, they, they get the off-duty gigs, then they commit to the off-duty gigs. And now, and now at the time we were working eight hour shifts, five and two fixed days off. Right. So I always knew like, I was a new guy. I was, I had Monday night and Tuesday night off for like the next five years. You know, I, was, I wasn't getting a weekend off. Um, but yeah, so that, you know, you start getting behind, right. You get behind the eight ball and now, now you're relying on those jobs uh, for the income. And if you don't, if you don't have them, you know, then you don't make your payments. And that just adds a whole nother level of stress. Now, 
you stop working out. You're you're not in the academy environment anymore. There's no most like 98% of police departments in America don't have a physical fitness standard, a job qualifying fitness standard. So guys just stop working out. Um, it, you know, unless, unless they're motivated, it, you see a lot of police officers head that way. And then we could get into a lot of about the, the metabolic pathways and the things that happen with stress that exacerbate those problems. But, you know, that also gets us into why police officers are so unhealthy. It's, you know, it's, Yes, the job stre- stressors are significant contributing factors, but then it's also personal habits and choices that we make as individuals. Um, and and so you know my my you know, my goal was always just every time I heard a, a reason why somebody couldn't work out or why they couldn't eat healthy, it was to try to provide a resource to remove that as a barrier or as an excuse. Uh, Chief, I don't, you know, I don't want to go to, I, I can't go work out because I'm afraid that someone I've arrested is going to be in the gym. So I'm not going to go work out. It's like, okay, well, we'll, we'll build a gym in our training center. Oh, well, I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. I brought in CrossFit level one staff to come in and train, train 20 officers, not, not again, not to make everybody CrossFit athletes, but just to provide people access to resources that could help you on these paths. I mean, we, we did a lot of pretty cool things, but there's just a lot of people that choose not to do it. And, you know, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure what the right answer is there, but. It's funny that you're like, uh, like 98% of police departments don't have any physical fitness standards. They have to keep. And the reason why is because our POAs that are supposed to be looking out for the best interests of the officers are only thinking like, like no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to force you to make us. It, right you know, so, yeah. you know that's going to take time and effort in this and then uh, <laughs> you have officers that and this this uh had this guy that he came over to us from another department very very big guy was a football player in college he believed in physical fitness first very much so and um he got made a proposal to his department and did it to them to the department where and the poa were like hey if you went like worked out checked in or worked out or i don't remember what it was and you didn't call and say whatever they think they would award you with with uh like extra six hours or something like that some kind something right right and what did it turn into all the cops that didn't want to take partake of it anything are like like oh no that's just the overall thing is if you had to budget the money for one or two officers to get fit you actually had to budget for the whole department so how much is that going to cost so the pla turned it into like well that's the budget that you have to put away for that. That's money that you could just give to us without us yeah. having to do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the cops are like, oh, I don't want to work out, but I want to get paid. I want to get paid cash because he's going to get paid cash just for working out. You know what I mean? So yeah. I was like, just blows your mind, right? <laughs> like guys that don't want to do anything and something that'll make them better. And, and, then, and they just, no, I just want to get paid. Just give me money. That's all it comes down to. And I understand we all got bills to pay, you know what I mean? But that yeah. just circles back into what kind of life you're living. So um yeah would just when he told me that story i was just like wow that's just mind-boggling not if you can budget thirty thousand a year to give officers eight hours every quarter you know what i mean of sick time then you can just put that into our pay and give us higher pay and it's like missing the point completely you know yeah entirely and then uh and then we wonder why we have so like in yeah, I'll go here. I'll just say it. <laughs> we have some of the 
the most abysmal, uh, you know, I guess, lifestyle maladies of, of any profession, right? Obesity rates are, are pushing 80% and 70 to 80% in the policing world, morbid obesity. Um, you know, I think at one point it was like 40 or I'm sorry, it was, it was around 20%. Um, you know, that, that in, in the police population. And so when you, when you, every year, and when, when you look at the statistics for, you know, officers that are killed and assaulted in the line of duty, yeah, those numbers are tragic, right? You're looking at any, you know, the firearms assaults are generally anywhere between like 40 and 70. And then we're looking at usually hundred to 120 officers year round that, that are getting killed in the line of duty. But what we don't talk about in, in the last few years, we've, we've raised our awareness on police suicide, the number of suicides that are, it, you know, and it's kind of hard to to know for sure what the numbers are, right? Because some agencies in some states, they all track it differently. But we're pretty confident that we can say that you're losing, for every one officer that we're losing to uh, assault, you're losing four to five from suicide. And that's, you know, that number is, that's frighteningly high. I mean, that's a lot of numbers. And then on top of that, now, if you start looking at cardiovascular disease and the number of heart attacks, uh, that that's what's killing cops. You're you're like 18 times higher. It's it's than than getting us, you know, than the risk of getting assaulted is is dying from uh, cardiovascular disease, like a heart attack. Um, which you know, sh- you know, and this was this was data that I all that I that I just stumbled upon in the late 90s when I was kind of doing some of this research. And it really made me think. So I felt like very lucky that I kind of saw this like at a time where I was committed to working out and staying in shape. And hey, look, you know, I want to be able to, you know, fight to live on the job. But I also, you know, I don't want to have a heart attack. I want to be able to have children and grandchildren or be able to do whatever I want when I retired. And 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 you would think that even though the the awareness has been going up the the numbers aren't improving so we're there's still something wrong with what we're doing inside the profession in terms of of education and resources we're just we're just not getting to people or it's just this general apathy towards fitness and you know the value that it brings i don't know i mean i, I i've got i've got ideas and i and i i haven't tired of trying things <laughs> i'm always willing to try things but i don't know what are your thoughts on that I don't know, man. It's like, like how many cops are there in the United States? Like a million or something like that? Yeah, it's like between 800,000 and a million, depending on how you, you know, who you classify as an officer, right? And uh, like, I look at it as like, are we much different than the whole rest of society when it comes to being aware of our, you know, everybody knows that, you know, going to McDonald's is, is probably not the healthiest choice of meal that you know. I mean, sometimes we wrong occasionally, right? But, you know, we all know that. Or do we? I guess or not. But like you know, yeah. like being overweight is not a healthy situation to be in. You know what I mean? So I don't know, man. Like come on, we're we've all been, you and I have been around enough people that have been in the profession and profession and care about fitness and care about your ability to you know defend yourself and you know that 
commitment to that kind of a training. And like, we've all like, just kind of like, beating our head on the wall. It's like, like we don't, everyone knows the answers, but how do you get them to commit to the answer, right? I just, don't, I don't know if we can, you know? What, what's our, what is our society doing? We're trying to make everything easier and easier. And you're AI now, I'm gonna write a police report for you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything in life is just about living it as easy and comfortable as possible. And people are learning. It's just, it's, it's been, it's been building and building and building since the seventies or the eighties. Let's just say when laptops came out and people weren't handwriting reports anymore. You know what I mean? Like everything is just is committed to just making the, the, the job and our lives easier. And there's only going to be a few of us that are willing to push past easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm just saying like, not physically, not being easy. Like I said, just committing committing to a commitment is hard like when you don't need to like i don't need to walk away now we got damn weight loss pills and stuff and just there's actually a magic pill now yeah i mean like well those come with their own problems yeah how much even terrible is that like like sure it's gonna save a lot of lives but you know what like you could save a lot of lives just by walking an hour every day so i don't know man it's like beating your head on dead horse and i don't want to sound debbie doom and debbie down or (laughs) <laughs> I haven't seen it change. I haven't seen it change in the, you know, since I started in police work in 2006, right? Like, here's a little right. bit more. You get some younger guys and, um, and you know, like our gym, my, my old PD, they, I mean, our police department, they put in this new big, huge gym and, and like, guys love it. So, you know, there's always that, maybe that change going forward and, and we'll see how, what happens. But I just think across the line, cops are, people too you know what I mean when it comes down right. to it and, and our track record as a human race when it comes to like taking care of yourself and being physical fitness is, is that we're just easy making everything freaking easier so you don't have to do that you know so I don't know what to tell you man I wish I had something a little bit more positive but I think uh, we well, just hey man just try and, try and lead by example and, and you know try and say like hey this is what's possible if you do this you know what I mean and so yeah, there you have it. There you have it. And I think that might that might be the most important thing is to just lead by example. Um I I you know, I, I do think when you when you're looking at like just human psychology and what motivates people when you're trying to figure out like what incentives work, um, you know, is it you know, do you use in you know the carrot or the stick, right? If you have physical fitness, mandatory physical fitness standards that people are required to, to meet um, is, you know, how is that going to move the needle? I, I'm a firm believer in, in standards, not just for physical fitness, but driving and firearm standards as well. Right. There, there are certain tasks that every police officer, re, re, whether you're a chief or whether you're a first day on the job, you should be able to meet these basic requirements uh, of what you have, you know, of, you know, minimum standards because, well, I mean, quite frankly, what, what's the profession without, without some kind of standard? And, um, you know, I also, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be doom and gloom because I do think there are a lot of young officers and and a lot of veteran officers that do get it and that, that are working very hard and that are working hard inside their organizations. I think in the last five or six years, people have really started to see and then appreciate the value of what a good wellness program can bring um, that it can not just uh, 
make us perform better on the job, but it, we can live longer and happier. We can reduce um, disability claims because of heart attacks or serious injuries. Um, yeah, there's, and, and here's another, here's another thing. And I, I have these conversations with, with my, uh, with my children. Like I've got a 23 year old, a 21 year old and a 15 year old. And uh, when my, uh, I'll, this is a story from a, a few years ago, but when my middle son, he's a wrestler and um, I, he broke something or had some kind, you know, wrestlers were always damaging something, right? One way or another. So I, t- I had to take him to urgent care. Oh, he had this nasty, like nasty cut on his hand. That's, that's a whole nother story. Um, so I take him up there and it's a, a urgent care facility and we're sitting in there and we're waiting for like two hours to be seen because the place is freaking packed, right? It just jam packed. And I'm just looking around the room and it's like, it, it looks like the walking wounded everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And so after we got done, he went in there, he got, you know, got his wound cleaned up and, you know, I had to get an antibiotic or whatever. We go back out and we're sitting in the car before we left. And I was like, I'm like, Hey, what did you see inside there? And he was like, what do you mean? I'm like, what did you, what were your observations? Did you, did you look around the room? Cause most of the time he's sitting there on his phone, like most kids. right? And he's like, I don't know, sick people. I'm like, yeah, well, what about the sick people? And, and so we went into this kind of like a 10 minute conversation about the overall health of the people that were in that room. And there were a lot of young people in there, younger, probably 30, I call 30, 40s. That's young to me, right? That man, they, they were in bad shape. They just not, did not look good. And I said, I told him, I said, it, cause he's a money wise kid. Like he saves his pennies and um, you know, he's got a plan. He's an engineering student. I'm like investing in your health, like, you know, wrestlers, the one, one advantage that you're always going to have for the rest of your life is, you know, that hard work pays off the harder you work and train, the the more success you're going to have on the mat. And when you're out there and when you lose, right, who can you blame? Nobody, right? It's just you, it's you and your opponent. And, and so like life is, is really the same way. Like if, if you don't take care of yourself, all, you know, all the money you make and everything just go, goes back to the point that you made earlier. You're just going to be dumping that, that cash that you've set aside and you're going to, you're going to be spending it on yourself just to try to maintain a level of health. That's not yep. even wellness, right? You're just sustaining life. You're not living. And maybe this is a great way to segue and, and, you know, maybe try to hopefully inspire some people. If you're in that position where, you know what, you're not in the best shape. Maybe you are overweight. Maybe you've got a nagging injury or something that's, that's holding you back. Like there's always a way. And there's, there's the, the best time to start was yesterday. And the next best time to start is today. Like there's, there's never a bad time to get started. And, and if you can do that, you are making a financial investment in your future because who knows how sustainable our healthcare system is going to be 10, 20 years from now. Like, right. And, and we see people come, that's, I, I see people complain about the healthcare system all the time. And it's just like, man, I, yeah, like I'm 50, I'm 56 now. I've had one shoulder surgery and everyone's like, no, it's not from CrossFit. It was from playing softball. (laughs) I, I, 
partially torn rotator from throwing, you know, not warming up properly and throwing a softball too hard. And I hurt my other shoulder uh, earlier this year, walking my dog of all things. Right. So, um, (laughs) yeah, so, I mean, life happens, things like this are going to happen, but the more resilient you are, the better you take care of yourself, the better off you're going to be, you know, from a, you know, just from an overall resilience perspective. Absolutely. Um, I know I'm not saying anything people don't already know. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I will, one thing I'll go circle back on when we were talking about like, how can we fix the law enforcement profession? And and like, yeah, you're mentioning we have this 80% obesity rate and this, I think it's up to 30 or 40%, whatever is, like I should say food. overweight, obese, and morbidly obese. So okay, yeah, and then the morbidly. We actually have that problem in law enforcement, but it was super interesting when China uh, represented the USA in, for the Invitational back when they had the Invitational, and it was in Madrid that year. We went to Madrid, and they had like team practice sessions and stuff like that. So I spent a lot of time just walking around, cruising around Madrid by myself while they were doing their thing, and really like. It, police work obviously completely different in other countries, right? Um, right. And these cops are out there standing there in, on foot, like just like all over the place. There's cops on foot, like always two or more together, uh, slinging rifles, vests. Like they look like they look like soldiers, right? But they're actually the police, right? And every, I never one single fucking time saw a guy that did. I was like, that dude looks fit, right? Not a single one. In the whole time that I was there. And finally, I just walked up to this group of guys and they were sitting around. They were just standing there and out in this plaza. And I'm all like, bro, like, what's up, America? Like, police officer in America. And I'm all, how are you guys all so fit? Mandatory PT. They start, they're like the military. They start their day off with mandatory PT. And it involves a lot of, like, running and shit like that. And and People should not ever doubt running because running is a great way to PT. That's why absolutely I, all those, those years that I was fighting, I was doing so much road work and I was pretty goddamn fit. But they start out every day to hold everyone in the department has to do mandatory PT. I was like, damn, that's pretty wild. I mean, it never happened here, right? But I mean, there could be one department that just says, hey, we're small enough. We're going to do, if you're going to come work at this 80, 90, you know, size police force we're doing mandatory pd as part of your shift thing and you know what i mean you're getting paid for it you're making decent money depending on where you look some places even really good money like it would be something but then i see the people that are going to jump in and go oh wow they're militarizing that department you know what i mean so it's yeah like, oh man and it man come on we're trying to make things better you're not understanding what's happening no you're making it like the military you're militarizing you got rifles here. now you're making mandatory pd like you're going to be running down the street yelling uh you know, three, five, four, bum. I'm gonna go and break someone's thumb. You know what I mean? Like marching together. You know what I mean? So I think I, it's like, oh, look at those cops over there. Like, you know, and those guys are just kids who like to kill shit over there. You know? Yeah, it's a whole different piece. So I just like to throw that out there real quick. It's like, yeah, no, I love it. But unfortunately, I don't think that that's ever gonna happen out here. But if anybody's listening as a chief at a real at a really small department, seventy or eighty guys, like. Think about it. You know what I mean? Just think about it. Oh, shit. I didn't, know, I didn't even know legally you could do it. You know what I mean? That's where our society's at right now. Well, yeah, you could. Well, you can. I know you can. Well, I did it. I mean, and I did it for our recruits. And I, I, it wasn't even my idea. That's the cool thing, right? Is like when you build a culture among your, among your staff, when people really, they value it, 
um, you know, we, you know, we recognize this, like you were talking earlier, like some of the, <laughs> some of the people that we're hiring good people, right. But you, you go back and I don't know if you ever were involved in your hiring process, but when you start looking at backgrounds, you start doing background investigations and then you bring, you bring these candidates in, you sit down it's like, Hey, when's the last time you've been in a fight? Well, what do you mean a fight? Like when's the last time, like, you know, you've got into a knockdown drag. I wanted to get hired. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, well, no, I've never been in a fight. Like, like not even like with your brothers or anything like that. Oh no, no. And it's just like, huh? Like never been punched, never punched anybody. And, and you know, and if you didn't play contact sports like football or wrestling or soccer, you, you know, basketball, I guess, you know, a sport, sport can teach you physical resilience but you know there's a lot of people that that aren't even involved in sports anymore and so the, their confidence in being able to handle physical altercation is almost zero and and then on top of that you know imagine now that stress level and so people want to know well why so we're we're approaching now close to 30% like the number of uh, like a 30% increase in the number of recruits that leave in the first three years, police officers that leave. I mean, those numbers like 20 years ago, that was unheard of. Like if, like if you got hired, like you were staying for 20 years and now we get a lot of turnover at the, in those first few years. And one of, one of the reasons that we get turnover is because there are people that come into the profession that don't have a realistic understanding of the risk they've seen TV or they've had it explained to them, or maybe it wasn't adequately explained. They had, didn't do enough research and the hiring agencies because they're short and they're trying to get people in the door where, where people, it might've been like, yeah, you're 23. Hey, come back when you're 25, like go live a little bit and then come back, get a little bit of life experience on your belt. You know, you're 25, come back no, when you're no, 30. You. Yeah. yeah. But now you, you know, you're going to get hired up and now, and now you're going out there and it's like, Hey, bro, people really do try to kill you in the shop, you know, like it's for real, like, and, and they're sizing you up and you're going to get, it's not a matter of if you get in a fight for your life. It's, it's a matter of when, and are you going to, are you going to win or not? And so, yeah, we could, we could go down this road a lot. And I, so and when we have these citizens Academy classes, I talk to people about this and then inevitably since the post Ferguson days, right? People always bring up the militarization. Oh, the cops are driving tanks down the street and they're carrying rifles. And it's like, well, um, what's the mission of your local police department? And I'm like, let's like, and I use, I used to uh, pull up a video of the West Hollywood shootout. I'm like, and I would I show a class there, like, and when, especially, and then I would ask, I'd try to ask the people that would, you know, that were clearly like the anti-militarization of the police, like, hey, what's your suggestion for the officers that are there? They have handguns, and now they're going to battle against two suspects that are armed, you know, armed with rifles, automatic weapons, and they've got body armor that a handgun can't defeat. Like, how how do you stop that, right? Um. Oh well, yeah. Well, you know, it, what's their answer? How how are the police supposed to respond to that? In 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 that case, right? You know, they had to commandeer uh, armored vehicles from from uh, like bank armored vehicles so they could do downed officer rescues. They 
what broke into a gun score. Uh, I think I, they commandeered some rifles from a gun store, yep. which by the way, they got charged for at some point. I think, I don't know if those ever <laughs> that ever went through, but um, yeah, I mean, that's just one example. Um, what do you do when someone steals a tank from a tank museum and goes driving down the freeway in San Diego and starts running over right. cars? Like, uh, right. how did the police stop that? <laughs> right. Right. Well, they call in the military because the military can be there in seconds. After yeah. People call. <laughs> yeah. And then they don't understand posse comitatus, right? Like the clear separation of, of federal, like the military is not allowed to operate on domestic, domestic soil. Right. Very clear, very clear reason why. Uh, yeah, so I could, I could, I could go down for days and days and days about the conversations like this. But yeah, in the end, it would be nice. And it, so here, here's one other thing we can touch on. Um, the, you know, again, in the post Minneapolis days, right? You see things like, you know, the performance there was just bad, right? And you know, anyone there was just there's just a big why, right? Why do you sit there on that guy for, for eight or nine minutes? There was a lot of reasons, a lot of things that could have been done differently, but it brought up a lot of discussions about how, you know, you know, what are the ground fighting training? You know, how often are police trained? And I think people would be frightened to know how little we actually train in defensive tactics and hand-to-hand stuff. So, you know, that was one of the, yeah, that's one of the things that we did. Like I, I you know, I, that my training staff came to me and we're like, "Hey, while they're recruits, you know, we're going to do mandatory uh, physical uh, physical fitness training as part of their day and ground fighting. Like that's just part of the training every day." And like, yeah, let's do it. So you know, they're we get a we get a lot of that up front. But the problem is, is that once you get them out on the street, and once you, now for an agency that like most police departments are anywhere from 10 to 20 and some as high as 30% short staffed right now, where do you find the time to actually train? You're, you're forcing mandatory overtime, which cuts into your training time because you're just trying to cover shifts on the street. And Jocko, Jocko and Rogan got into a conversation where they were talking about uh, um, every police officer should be a blue belt in jujitsu. And if, if you had the standard like that, then how would that impact uh, use of force and and the outcomes on the street? And, you know, I, for one, I'm like, I, I love the idea. I love the idea of, of being able to train to that standard. But what the, but the reality is when you're looking at the, again, with these staffing deficiencies, what we really need is about a bump to where you have like, and, and I've talked about this. If, you know, if my agency is 152 sworn, if I could get 50 more officers, if I could get my agency to 200 personnel, then guess what I can do? I can create, I have four shifts. I could add a fifth shift. And now that fifth shift, um, when you're when you're on your work cycles, you can build some training cycles into the, the work routine. So now I might I might work two weeks and then go have have a week of training and then and then I come back in to the rotation at a different time. So what that would do is, and I, we trained a lot for a police department. We had we had um, forty hours a year that we had built in that we trained, and that's that's like some some departments don't train at all. Like like they've got to do some their mandatory state mandates, but outside of that, they're not doing any type any type of training. So there's there's one answer. Like, um, but outside of yeah, that, I don't know how you get it done. Answer right now that I mean, like at least work in this 
in the in the United States overall to me is like, like in, in really super dark days right now with so many departments being a lack of being able to hire people. It's like there's just not this interest to be a cop anymore for a lot of younger people. I mean, and then like like just everything that you're saying, like how can we get them through that trend if we can't hire enough people? So we're in this like dark and it's not it doesn't seem like it's gonna get any better. Like how are you how can I make we can't make people magically appear for all these jobs out here in Maui, you know, or like I think Honolulu PDs, like like a couple hundred officers down or something like that. And then what do they see? They see these cops that are having to work overtime, especially here on Maui, where I think the starting pay for a police officer, I know it is for the fire department. I don't think that the police work is much more, but starting pay is like 70000 a year. I live in the most expensive, but the median house price on Maui right now is 1.1 million or something like that and like yeah. so you, all they see are these cops that yeah have to work a whole ton of overtime just to survive number one and then number two the rest of the society the rest of the maori people out here a lot of them the thing is well the cops don't do anything and i'm like well shit man they're working double shifts like three days a week of course they're not doing anything and so it affects the police work also because yes the police work don't get me wrong these guys out here doing doing amazing things and stuff but like I can see Yeah, I'm starting to lose your ears there. So, I think you gotta yeah, get a little closer. It's, it's just like it's just all that we're seeing right now. I can see all of a sudden it's a you know it's a spin Get closer. Yeah, we're start I'm starting to lose you. I'm starting to lose your audio. I don't know if maybe your earbuds are going. Probably about to die. Let me see. Let me see. Well, that that's probably a pretty good sign that I should I should probably start to wrap this up because if we go down this path, we'll probably start. I I, I could I could uh, commiserate for days, but that so there's a great example of, and just like you were saying, same thing in the Bay Area, you have um, super high cost of living the commute to be able to, to, and so it does a couple things. You Now you, the, you're bringing people into work in areas that aren't invested in the communities there. It's, it still shouldn't change the quality of the work that they're trained to do, but you know, there's, there's, there's good reasons to have incentives to be able to, to get officers to live in the areas in which they work. Right. Um, and I know there's a lot of programs out there, but States like Hawaii in particular, because it is a long way from anywhere. I mean, it is a beautiful tropical paradise uh, if you can afford to live there. But if you can't afford to live there, um, you know, then that, that that becomes another burden, not necessarily it doesn't make it easier. So having having the ability and this is where I think states are really going to have to start getting creative. The federal government's probably going to have to participate a little bit where you do have different incentives. And and the answer and this is kind of where the the frustration sets in for me is like we're always told no there is no more money and i i chaired our legislative committee for several years for our state chiefs association so i was at the state house a lot and everybody's looking for resources right teachers are looking for resources there's a lot of professions that are in trouble but the problems that we experience it's like groundhog day it's a different a different color uniform a different patch on the sleeve but some of the same core issues that we see that come up in body camera videos and 
you know, body cameras are a great example just right in and of itself, right? It's a very expensive program to, to outfit and equip police departments with body cameras. When the public demanded the that accountability in body cameras, suddenly the the money started to appear. Like, well, yeah, well, where's the accountability on these in these communities to make sure that they're providing the best training and the best equipment and the best um, resources for your officers from a from a mental and emotional and physical well being perspective? Because what happens in the six inches between the ears is drives what happens on the camera <laughs> and and if you're if you're tr- if you're preparing your officers well and you're and you're equipping them well then the likelihood of of you having bad outcomes on, that are captured on camera go way down but yet we don't want to make that investment upstream because it's cheaper and easier and i don't know maybe just people find it more entertaining to watch people you know have colossal collapses in life and and make you know really bad public mistakes so you know, it really does come down to investment. All right. So let's wrap this up, man. That that means we've gone too long if we're wearing out your batteries and your earbuds. So, <laughs> all right. So again, I'm going to go back. I'm, let's close it by going back to the beginning. So um, I, I finally, let's just, so in, when was that? Like 2000 and it was, what was it? 2018? I think it was the 2018 uh, World Police and Fire Games. Um, I think you know, it was. You, eight, you've been to the CrossFit Games, like I'm yeah. a guy that, like, on a good year for me, like when I age up into a new, uh, a new, a new old man category, like <laughs> I, I, I'm more competitive. I'm like at 45. I think I had probably like was one of my more competitive years, and then when I was 50, so I was able to. You know, I've been an online qualifier a couple times, meaning like I break the top 200. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've tried, so just from a CrossFit perspective and for people that are not familiar with CrossFit, right. You, you, the, the C, the CrossFit games are kind of like a high school sports where you have a sectionals, like, and then a regionals and then like a semi-state and then it's like yeah. getting to the, the games is kind of like the state championship. I, I say that in a way, like you have to kind of win your way through or, or get to a certain point and, um, and they have age categories the that are they call them masters divisions from 35 and beyond so 35 to 39 40 to 44 45 to 49 50 so when i turned 50 um i was i think i think i was actually i think i wound up after the uh, online portion of it like i qual i was in the top 200 in the open and then they do the online qualifier like i almost made the top 100 like that was the goal for me <laughs> was to try to break into the top 100 and it's my skinny legs. I'm not a big dude. So (laughs) I, I, I've never been able to move a lot of weight. Um, I can lift a decent amount of weight, but I've just been more of an engine guy. Like, and, and so I did qualify for the world police and fire games though. And so that was kind of cool. Like, and, um, one of my friends here in town, Rodney, who actually won it, he, um, he, you know, he also turned 50 with me. And so we both headed out to California and that's where I got to meet you for the first time. So that, that was kind of a cool experience. And I wanted to tell, I wanted to tell this story publicly because um, I made fun of my skinny legs earlier. And uh, I'm trying to remember, I, I don't remember like the order of those events or what it was, but 
I do know like one was a the the one workout that I was looking forward to that I knew was the, f- the first part was a clean and jerk or some kind of complex. It was a clean and jerk. I think it was just like, a clean and jerk because that's the last time I ever lifted 225 clean and jerk. Yeah. And so I, um, I, I, I felt like, you know, I, I stopped at 200. I, I jerked 200 and my all time, like when I was younger, I, 225 is my all time high on a clean and jerk. But I'm at, at 50 years old. I'm like, I'm not even I'm I'm not going there because I knew the next event was the um, toes to bar deadlift event. So it was you had 25 toes to bar and then Ugh. and then 25 deadlifts at 225. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, like I've always been a really good deadlifter. Like I don't have a huge, uh, you know, I think my max deadlifts was, is like. 405 or something like that but i've got skinny legs but for the moderate weights i can move them really fast so when i saw that workout i was like oh shit because i'm good at toes to bar because i got skinny legs <laughs> so i can i can cycle my legs and i think it was like the fourth like the like fourth and fifth event or whatever counted as two and i i won that i won the second part of the event i think i was dead last or close to last in the clean and jerk um but then I, I was probably <laughs> I was probably dead last when it comes to toast bar. <laughs> I, I don't remember. All I all I remember is you coming up to me later and you're like, bro, I was looking at the I was looking at this. He's like, you're like fifth, seventh, fourth, first. What's up with that? <laughs> I was like, and then on, on the deadlift workout, I'm like, I'm like, look at these legs, man. I'm like on those toast to bar. I was like that's my jam. I can, I can, I and I'm not as good as I used to be, but I, I could do toes to bar all day. Um, but that was anyway, that, so I, I love the fact that CrossFit was calling attention even then, like trying to provide some type of venue for fitness to be, you know, kind of like, I don't know, like let's gamify it. Let's get people engaged. Let's give cool. them something to work towards. Yeah. Cause there were some fit ass cops there, man. There were some yeah. guys, um, one guy I think was a regional, was a regional athlete, a couple of ma- the masters guys that were in public safety, firefighters. Yeah. We can go there if you want, you know, firefighters, yeah, these guys are guy. always crushing it. I was always just, I was like, never always the biggest guy. I really just, to be, to be honest with you, my whole like CrossFit career was this way is that I'm really good at sucking something out of my soul for one workout. And that's all qualifiers are is one workout at a time. Like throw me in for the whole day. And don't get me wrong. I've won my share of local competitions and shit like that. But I just, that was like the, the commitment to be able to do it at the top level and also freaking and make yourself a competitor at that top level, like at the CrossFit games. It's just something I honestly, I don't want to do that commitment because I mean, forget like my whole police career. I worked out. I um, I was on the SWAT team for most of my police career, right? And we weren't like a full time SWAT unit, so we were like that's ancillary duties, right? But we had to right. train regular. We'd get you get a random call out, you know, you know, call outs that lasted like almost a full day. Um, and then I also owned a CrossFit gym for most of my police career from 2006 until I retired in 2018. I owned a plant and I was coaching you know, several hours a week. Luckily I had my amazing wife who helped me out strongly after we got together in 2010. Um, but 
you know, so for me, I was, ne- I've always known I'm never going to be the guy to win the CrossFit games. Cause that commitment is just too much, but goddamn, like, especially when, when China and I became this team together working out, she's able to like push me and get more out of me than I would able to do just by myself. So I'm super lucky that I always had that. And even every, every time, like when we both could, like made it to the games together and she had to go do her thing. And now I'm by myself and I'd have some coach, but it just wasn't them. It wasn't her. You know what I mean? Cause I yeah. could listen to her. She could just tell me to do something. And I was able to flip that switch and freaking do it. So um, yeah, I was never, I was never a great crosser. Honestly, quite honestly, I think I was just a mediocre crosser, but on the competitive level, I did pretty good. So I got lucky. With that. Well, yeah, I would, I would call you more than a mediocre CrossFitter, but um yeah, that's you know it, it, that was pretty that was a pretty cool experience, um, and yeah, I, I owned I opened our CrossFit gym in two thousand and nine, uh, and I I went and and this kind of going back to the beginning, but I, when I when I, I had started CrossFit, and I tell people this all the time, and this is important for because I I just posted a story uh, for the last week's guest um, is his name is Corey Joslin, he's a police officer down in Louisiana. And I came across this story because it was in Morning Chalk Up. Um, Emily Emily Beers wrote uh, wrote about him about two months ago, and it, he's a six foot four, four hundred nineteen pound officer, like detective, just a you know gigantic man. And uh, it's his story about how he you know kind of discovered CrossFit and got and and went down that path. And because I do want to end on something like more positive and more hopeful. Yeah, You know, it's stories like his that are re- really inspiring. And, you know, I'm sure it's probably the same for you, but it was one of the reasons it was one of the things like owning a CrossFit gym, you're not, you're not, you know, maybe a few people can do it and be really, really financially successful. It's, you can do it and, and make a living from it, but it's a labor of love. I mean, it's, and I'm sure it's like that for a lot of gyms, but just the way CrossFit itself structures the gyms, um, you know, it's, you can you can make money doing it, but really, really, it's about creating that environment where um, you're you're getting people in there that are complete lifestyle changes. And you know, for for Corey, it, you know, he was telling me that you know it was his doctor that kind of finally motivated him. Like he's in his early forties, and he's like, dude, if like you're if you don't die. do something different, you're in big trouble by the time by the time you're fifty. Yep. And so he tells the story about he uh, he he was at lunch with a couple of his other detectives and he was literally saw a CrossFit gym across the way. And he had tried it a few years before, but he went into a gym and this is, this is where CrossFit sometimes gets a bad reputation because he goes into a gym and they basically don't, they just throw him into a workout and, you know, he's already a big dude. He's, you know, he's, he's a cop, but, um, and, you know, he's strong, but you know he definitely needed coaching, and they just kind of threw him to the wolves. Is basically what it sounded like, and he was yeah. so damn sore, like he couldn't do anything for a week. And so that you know what did he do? He didn't go back, and you know, so it kind of kind of left a a little bit of a, I guess he had a bad experience, and so that kind of shot he shied away from it. And but he said he went back to work that afternoon, kept thinking about it, went back to that gym on his way home, and talked to the owner, and the owner was the right person that was there. We're just like, Hey man, I'd love to help you out. Like, let's get you, you know, come, you know, we're, we've got an on-ramp class that's starting up. Let's get you in here. And Perfect. so he yep. comes back. Yeah. And it's kind of that classic story where he comes back and just 
but he, he does it right and kind of walks him through and, you know, scales to what he's able to do. And then he builds it up. And so now he's got this morning routine, his whole life has changed. And, and I'm not saying you have to do CrossFit to have these experiences because you can, Absolutely. there's a lot of different ways that you can skin this cat. Right. But yeah. the important thing is, is like, you got to recognize hey, when, when things are, are heading towards trouble or you're already in trouble. Um, and then you, you need someone to throw you that, you know, that, that life preserver. And, and now, now you, you really just, you got to get started. And so it's, it's a cool story. Um, it's a very cool story. And it just goes back to that thing. Like you're saying, Hey, somebody's got to throw you a life preserver, but on the same flip side of that is we talked about that is you yeah. can't throw in the towel and accept it. You right. Know what I mean? Because if you throw in the towel and you accept it, that's a hard, hard, hard path to come back from. So like, don't give up. Just don't give up. Yeah. Right. That's it. You're never out of the fight mentality. And so he's, he, you know, he's made great strides. He really looks forward to it. And it, you know, he's some of the things that, that he's experiencing, right. Are, are the things that a lot of people experience. And this is why, uh, you know, everyone jokes about it in CrossFit, right? How do you know someone does CrossFit, you know, because that's all they fucking talk about is CrossFit. <laughs> and that's not true. Well, well, but it is true to an extent where it's enough to, to help the, uh, uh, to, to help perpetuate the the stereotype of a crossfitter but the reason why and i tell people this all the time is like man if you do something that makes you feel really good that makes you get excited about doing it i don't care it's like if you found a new church that you're going to and you know they get you fired up and like you're going to tell people about it and yeah. you know so that's kind of a cool thing and so people just want to share when something's going really well they want to share so I, I say all this to, you know, as, as we start to, to close this down, like even, even for even someone like him, right. There is hope there is a path forward and uh, CrossFit gyms. I'm always going to say they're a great place to start because everything is infinitely scalable. They're, they're people are going to emphasize not just good movement, but they're also going to emphasize good nutrition. They're going to emphasize good recovery and, and when you have a coach and, and maybe this kind of going back to like before I started doing CrossFit, like, or when I was doing it on my own, I, I waited like four or five years before I went and did a, a L1 the first time. And I went over the Rogue because that's not too far from here. It's just a couple hour drive. And after, after my first weekend, I realized like how much stuff I'd been doing wrong, how much I thought I knew that I didn't know. And so I hear people all the time say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to lose a little bit of weight and then I'm going to start like going to the gym or I'll go to CrossFit. Like how, how many times you hear that? <laughs> million times, million times, bro. <laughs> it's like, no, like don't like, uh, if I, if I get one piece of advice, go to the gym, work with a trainer. Um, if it's CrossFit or whatever, go do that for three to six months. Just commit to doing that because yep. They're going to teach you the mechanics and the things that you need to know, and they're going to they're going to keep you from going down the path that might actually lead to injury or lead to long term failure rather than long term success. Uh, right. Go figure out how to do it. How, you know, it's okay to ask for help. That's what they're there for, and then they can really get you set up on the right path. And then in six months down the road, if you want to go work out on your own or do your own thing, you know, go do it. But now you've got a good foundation. 
Uh, nope, if you absolutely. if you've been paying attention, absolutely, I've heard all that before. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have. I just wanted to share it because no, 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 I'm just saying like you and I have heard that a million times. Like that story, and the same thing that we say to everybody. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and for you sure. said it right. Never, it's you know, it's never too late to start. Um, no. Just just go get it done. I don't know what. I, there's so many other things I could talk about. Uh, you know, and it just and then like I, and I'm I. I pretty sure you're friends with him, but you know, John Wellborn, you know, he's big in the CrossFit community, but former NFL player, you know, and he was a reserve deputy. Yeah. I love, I remember listening to his, he was, I don't I can't remember whose podcast he was on. I was listening to, but he was talking about the first time he ever tackled somebody as he, as a cop. <laughs> that was a great story. I haven't, I haven't heard that one. Oh yeah. It's actually, on one of, John was actually uh China's coach for two seasons of CrossFit. So, yeah, you know, John, well, you know, John, a long time. I was actually at his level one, one of the uh, one of the instructors when he did his first level one in Santa Cruz. So I've known, known John a long time. I don't know if it's his if I can attribute this quote to him, but I'm going to um, because he was the first person I ever heard say it. Right. And and this is this is the lesson I'm going to uh, we'll leave with all cops. Right. Strong people by their very nature are just harder to kill. And um you know, to kind of close this out for good, your example of lifelong commitment to fitness and wellness, the your training so and preparation that you put in, the dedication that you put in, uh, reaped benefits on the job while you were working, and it allowed you and allows you to this day to be able to go now and enjoy retirement and really reap the benefits of, of your pension and, and do, and now do, you know, take on new adventures, but then most importantly, and, and this is, you know, my prayers go out to, to you and all of those in Lahaina that were affected by those fires. Um, you know, I, I had just by chance, I, I've been to Hawaii once and it was this summer. It was a long time trip that my wife and I had planned for our 25th wedding anniversary and her 50th birthday. And uh, we were in Lahaina to what was it? Two and a half weeks, I think, or so right before, before all the fires started. And um, you and I, we were supposed to do this podcast a while back. We got, you know, I reached out to you when I was there and missed, missed you when I was down on the boat there, but I connected with you when I got home and we talked and on a Friday, and we were supposed to have the conversation, we were supposed to record this podcast the following Friday. And of course, Wednesday, I see that post that you that you put out. Um, you had it on Facebook where you you showed the wind outside and your dog was, you know, you know, I got a gym dog here that's used to weights banging around. But, you know, you said, yeah. like, made a comment like the wind was kind of freaking, freaking them out Always a little bit. That, yeah. Um, and then you went dark for a couple of days, like nobody knew. And then it was like. Um, nobody, I mean, I, I just, the catastrophe that we saw unfold and, you know, once the media, you know, started putting out images, it was just, it was just devastating, um, because the, the people of Hawaii are beautiful. Um, the, the island itself is beautiful. Um, it was just, yeah, my heart goes out to everyone there that's affected. And are, I, I wanted to close with this because is, is there anything that anyone that might be able to do? I know performance protocol, the company that, that, um, work, you know, they're our sponsor for this podcast and I do work with them and 
Um, one of the first things they did was offer their coaching services for free to the Maui PD uh, to help them, you know, process a lot of the, because uh, I know those guys went through a lot, man. Yeah. Um, that must have been a hell of a couple of days. Yeah, I think uh, in, uh, in one, the aftermath, one third of our of our first responders lost their homes in the fires, like which is crazy to think, right? So, yeah, yeah, so they're, they're, yeah. They're, tons of, they're working tons of tons of overtime. Um, so there was a lot. So if there's something people want to do, uh, my wife and I have given out twenty six thousand dollars that we've raised from a couple of people that are like. Uh, like a good friend of mine, Harlan, just sent five thousand to me, five thousand to somebody else, five thousand. Hey, give this to people who need it. Uh, I was able to raise through social media, raise about fifteen thousand for people on a boat. So China and I are always available if you want to make sure that we get money to somebody who actually needs that money. But there's also, uh, or if you want to just DM me or reach out to me on social media, there are some um, like the the there's an officer out here with Maui PD. Uh, who has raised up a ton of money. He's one of the ones that I recommend. And he's giving that money directly to police officers that lost their homes. Um, there is a, there's some Instagram pages where if you want to like adopt a family, you can adopt a family and give them money. It's just like the amount of people that displaced or, or lost everything. It sounds like it's just unreal, right? So um, anybody wants to give out that way, those are, the, those are the main ways. There's a lot of great funds, like giving it to the Red Cross and giving to this and giving to that. But these are these are places that if you want to give money to somebody, they can get it. We those 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 outlets goes directly to those people. So appreciate that actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then and then finally, the you know, you just and and again it goes back to Glassman's quote, right? Being prepared for the unknown and the unknowable. Um, and you and your wife are in a position now because um because you've invested in yourselves, you have the energy, you have the capability. Now, not only were you able to survive that day um, and to make sure, you know, make good decisions to, to help navigate a difficult day. Yes. But now you're in a position to help others. And, um, and that's what you're doing. You're giving back, you're, you're donating your time, you're having outdoor workouts. And, you know, one of the things that I love the most about CrossFit is the community and, and people say it all the time. Like, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you think they're overusing it, but it's times like this where you really do appreciate what it's like to have those special connections with people. And what, you know, when you get to a CrossFit gym and you go and you do something hard for an hour and you suffer a little bit in the gym and you suffer with people right next to you, you know, those are some bonds that are formed and it's just, it's hard not to want to help those people. Uh, yeah. and 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 help your friends and those that that you're in that community with so you know again my my hat goes off to you and and to everyone that's that's there to help you know really kind of help put the pieces back together after a catastrophe like this and you know and i'll go back to to the quote that i'm attributing to john wellborn right you know be strong right strong people are just harder to kill oh, amen well thank you all right. And to end on a little bit lighter note, what the my other favorite one was on a CrossFit t-shirt. When the aliens come, they're gonna eat the weak first. So <laughs> be strong. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right on. Perfect. All right. Perfect. Well, hey man, I really do appreciate you. I'm glad that we finally were able to to get reconnected and get this done. I'm glad that you guys are are safe. And again, prayers to to all those that that lost everything and, and particularly to those that lost loved ones. And, uh, 
maybe we'll have, maybe we'll do this again sometime and we'll, we'll, uh, there, there's, there's tons of stuff that we could chat about, but until then, I appreciate it. Appreciate your valuable time. And we'll be right on brother. We'll be 1042. The Coptimizer podcast is powered by performance protocol. Performance protocol brings professional executive coaching to police officers and administrators at all levels of the organization. Performance Protocol has the blueprint that will operationalize organizational optimization. It is purpose-built for today's public safety employees to help them accomplish goals and live better. What is it? One-on-one video-based coaching with officers and leaders who have been in your shoes and know firsthand what it means to live and work in public safety. The program will connect you with certified coaches who combine their years of success in the world of law enforcement with world-class training from the cobble of performance protocol coaches. Get the support, resources, motivation you need to live the life you want. Performance protocol coaches are relatable, knowledgeable, and confidential. Most importantly, they get results. Why should the keys to unlocking our peak performance be reserved for just the boardroom or the playing field? Unleash your full potential today and get started with performance protocol. Remember, performance is the goal. Protocol is the path. Log into www.performance-protocol and learn more about how to bring this program to your agency and community.